Alright, alright, it's episode 37 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined tonight by Mackenzie Rivers, NBA betting expert. NBA playoff round two, now underway, completed one game in each series. Mackenzie and I, we're going to go ahead, we're going to preview the next two days for you. But before we go ahead and get into the next two days, Mackenzie, I want to go ahead and want to get one of your bets out of the way early. Let me go ahead and run through some series prices for you, and I want you to go ahead and give us that wager. Uh, let's go ahead, let's start it out with the East here. We have the Bucks. they're up 1-0 against Boston. Bucks minus 130 to win the series. Miami, they're up 1-0 versus Philadelphia. Miami, monster favorite here, minus 560 to win the series. If you do like 76ers, you can get them at plus 420. And uh, make sure you guys shop around, because right now on DraftKings, I'm seeing Philly at like plus 350. So clearly some of the books are offering better prices. Let's move out to the West. Golden State up 1-0 on Memphis. Golden State, big favorite as well, minus 550. And you have the Suns uh, right around minus 500, 550 as well over the Mavericks. So, McKenzie, uh, with all those series prices, why aren't you going to give us a wager? Wow. Well, three of the four, there's like an 80% proposition. And I am going to stop on the one that's closer to 50-50. I think the best bet here, the Boston Celtics plus 110. Both of these teams have one loss these playoffs. I didn't see anything in game one. That significantly changed uh, at all my power rankings of this team. It was kind of just a cold night for Boston. Their best player, Jason Tatum, only six for 18. So, yeah, I think the Celtics, I entered the series thinking they were the better team. The Bucks without Middleton, you know, down a point probably. I think his value is uh, starting to be, you know, shown as, as not what Drew Holiday's is. And if you look at shot quality of game one, just, you know, analytics wise, where they were getting their shots, the Celtics were, you know, they lost by 13. They probably should have lost by one or two in game one, you know, after this sweep, you know, with nothing really to lose. I feel like they were just kind of sleepwalking through that early game, you know, one o'clock Eastern start. Those games have gone under, you know, over 55% of the time in, in uh, the last 20 years of playoff basketball. So there's a reason why this game two spread didn't change. In fact, it actually ticked up for the Celtics. I agree with that movement. And I think they're going to win the series. So plus 110, getting better than 50-50 odds is great. So I'll take plus 110. All right. So McKenzie going to go ahead and take Boston and go ahead and win the series. Let's stick here with Boston, McKenzie. We got game two. We got the Bucks at the Celtics. Celtics, as you mentioned, minus four and a half. We have a total of 215. I have a best bet for this particular game there, McKenzie, for this podcast. Before we get into that, McKenzie and I went 4-2 and two on our last podcast, so kudos to us on that. Nice winning podcast. And we did go ahead and we cashed our Golden State series price there, so that was good. But how are you feeling about the Bucks and Celtics going into game two? Must-win game for Boston. I really think if, if they have the ability to throw game one out of their minds, it's probably better than trying to you know rehash the tape because – Last 25 games, they've shot under 20th percentile in the league one time. That was last game. That was 10%. It was by far the worst that they've shot against this Bucks team in four matchups this year. By far the worst they shot, you know, the last couple months. So I think regression to the mean. I think there's no way the Celtics can come out as poor offensively. I don't think Milwaukee and their, you know, kind of strict, kind of simple system of packing the paint and making you shoot over them. Uh, I don't think that's that will surprise the Celtics in a second game, and I, I look for them to come back. Uh, I lean the four and a half, but uh, these games tend to end up down to the wire, so I might prefer the money line, still uh, still figuring it out. Now, what do you make of the Marcus Smart injury? Because I saw him run out to the locker room 
he has a quad injury. I don't believe it was the, the quad injury that actually sent him running into the locker room. I think he had like a stinger or something like that. But the fact that he's banged up, you know, are you concerned maybe that, you know, without your, your best defensive player, defensive player of the year and Marcus Smart, that maybe some of the scoring actually could be a little bit higher for the Bucks in this game? Yes, that actually leads me to a bet I like for this game already, which is Drew Holiday over 19 and a half points. You mentioned Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. He actually excels at a lot of things other than stopping point guards from scoring. You know, as a point guard, as a Defensive Player of the Year candidate, you think, you know, the Celtics would kind of just nix all point guards, but it's actually their worst position. If you look at the points they allow to opposing small forwards, shooting guards, centers, and point guards, they're 12th. In point guards, and they're top 10 in every other category. They're actually number one in stopping small forwards like Giannis from scoring. So I think the way they switch most of their things, the way Marcus Smart is really more uh, eager to you know attack a bigger guy and, and uh, you know kind of punch up in weight class, especially if he's hindered for this game, I expect him to go. It seems like from you know reading the tea leaves, reading the reports, that he's questionable, more likely to go than not. But... Even if he does go, he's not going to be 100%. And Drew Holiday is taking took 20 shots in game one. That's four more than his playoff average. I feel like it's a good matchup for him. They're going to keep sticking it to him. They're going to build that wall, uh, stopping from Giannis from doing what he wants to do. And the solution to that, in my opinion, will be Drew Holiday. So I expect his volume to be there, 20-plus shots, and a sufficiency against a Celtics team that actually allows point guards to do a little bit of work. So that's a bet for me. Holiday over 19 and a half. Yeah, I don't dislike that. I think that he's obviously been, you know, he's the B guy now with Middleton out. And give credit to the Bucks. You know, without Middleton, they look pretty good. I thought maybe Boston would be in for like a little bit of a shock being like, you know, we just went from, you know, this crazy series against the Nets where, you know, there was all this hype going into it. And you go in there and you blow that team out, swept them in four games. And you didn't see a team in the Nets with a defense anywhere near you know, what the Bucks were. So I thought maybe it would be a shock to Boston. Do you think that that might have been some of the, you know, the lackluster performance that, you know, we blew through the nets, got rid of Katie and Kyrie, and it was just one of those things where, wow, we didn't expect, you know, an upgrade in defense uh, with the Bucks, and, you know, Giannis to do what Giannis was doing and Drew, you know, doing what he did. Do you think it was just maybe a little bit of a shock to Boston and maybe they kind of just – sit down, kind of, you know, digest it all, watch the tape and go, okay, you know, here's here's what we need to do now. I think you nailed it because not only was it, like you said, a real NBA defense versus, you know, having, you know, your way with the Brooklyn Nets throwing together defense for four games. Not only was that, but it was that early start time, you know, time they play out, you know, once or twice a year. And you saw it in the first half. They only scored 46 points in the first half. They shot 34%. And, you know, their defense was there the entire game, but they really started off slowly. Don't expect that to be the case in game two with a normal, you know, seven o'clock Eastern start time. Uh, expect the Celtics offense to be a lot more lively. It's actually hit their shots this time. Well, I hope you're right, because I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make a best bet for this podcast. I'm going to go and I'm going to play Jason Tatum over 28 and a half points. Go back to the Brooklyn series. He went over this number three out of four games. And the one game that he did have, I guess we can call it a dud McKenzie. I think he had like 19 points. And then he turns around and he has 39, his best game in that series. And people could disagree with this. And I'm not a, a Jalen Brown hater at all. Nothing against him personally. But I do believe that that he can shrink up in the playoffs. And, and this was one of my concerns for him is that he can go cold and he can shoot you out of a game. 
and he made one shot in the entire second half last game. With Smart being a little dinged up, Jalen Brown might not get the shots that he normally would get being, you know, 20-plus attempts. I think you have to go back and say, you know, how did we get through the Nets? And you got through with, with Jason Tatum. And he only took, like, what, like 16, 17 shots or 18 shots, and it's like that's not his norm. You're you're normally going to get, you know, 24, 25, maybe even 30 shots out of him. And I think he takes that amount here, and he it, it's up to him, you know, at home to put this Boston team on his back and go out there and be Jason Tatum. Were we not just talking a couple of days ago about, you know, who's the better player? Is it Tatum or is it KD? Right. Five, six weeks ago, McKenzie, that was a crazy conversation, like, like, you would get laughed at, like who's having that conversation? But you know, after we saw that series, I'm it's a it's a legitimate question. But Boston's number one guy is Tatum, and I don't think he can go out there and rely on somebody like Brown, who you know can go out there and, and put you in a really bad position. And he's done it before, and he's done it to this Boston team uh, many a times. And I think that this it's on Tatum. He's got to get the motor running. He's got to get it running early. For as good as the Bucks are defensively. I, I honestly don't think that there's anybody that can stop Tatum when, if he wants to hit you from the outside, from the mid-range, or at the rim, I don't think there's anybody that can really stop him consistently. He It's Jason Tatum. He's going to get his points. And I think he's going to go out there and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do everything I need to do in it right now offensively, you know, to keep this team in the game. Because, you know, Boston can't go out there and score 89 points again and expect to win. It's not going to happen. They're going to lose again. And it all starts with Tatum getting the ball rolling. Yeah, I think you nailed it when you said he took 18 shots. That's just not, I mean, that kind of shows you that kind of startled, kind of shocked uh, reaction the Celtics had opening up that game where they just hadn't been in that type of atmosphere against a real defense. So in three games versus the Bucks this season, in the regular season, he shot 20 times, Tatum did, 25 times, and 25 times. It's going to be in that range. He's they're gonna He's going to go down... Uh, you know, firing, because like you said, Jalen Brown is really not the guy you want handling the ball with, you know, everything on the line. That's why you have a guy like Tatum, you know, a guy that can go toe-to-toe with Giannis and KD. And if you look at the Bucks' defense, they've, you know, they've been a fine defense all year, but bottom 10 against wings, you know, shooting guards and small forwards combined, uh, averaging, giving up the 22nd most points to wings, uh, the Bucks are. That's just because of the way they play defense. Giannis, Burke Lopez, even Drew Holiday, they want to pack the paint. They want to make it very difficult for you to get easy points. Well, Jason Tatum is a tough bucket getter. I think he shoots 25 times, so I think that that prop looks look, looks attractive at only 28 points. All right. Well, I'm kind of glad you like that one as well, so I'm going to make that my best bet uh, for the podcast. Let's jump over to the nightcap here tonight on Tuesday. Uh, we have the Warriors at the Grizzlies. Warriors minus one and a half, total 227. Uh, McKenzie, interesting game in game one. John Morant certainly had a chance to go ahead and send the Warriors packing, but uh, he came up short. I thought that was a really good play that they ran there at the end, but, um, you know, tough defensive play. Uh, He he had to make a a miracle shot, didn't go down. Warriors get the win there. I'm not sure how you feel about this game. I'm kind of on the fence with so much stuff on this game. I think a lot of that just had to do with, you know, that game was just so close, and now it's it's game two. Must win here pretty much for the Grizzlies. And this line's only been adjusted by a half point. You know, it was, what, minus two for the Warriors in game one, now minus one and a half. I'm not ruling out the Grizzlies coming back here and winning this game, McKenzie. You know, Warriors dropped the game to the Nuggets. 
on the road. Could they drop one here? I certainly think it's it's not out of the question. I'm just on the fence. I don't know. Maybe you could sway me, but for right now, I'm going to go ahead and probably end up passing the side and the total. The more I look at the game one box score, the more angry I am that that my uh, best bet on that Sunday minus two on the Warriors didn't cash because, I mean, just think of the end, the end of the first half. This is the this is the list of things that went wrong for the Warriors on their way to winning game one. Steph Curry had three fouls into the first half. He only played six minutes in that quarter. Draymond Green on the bench in the locker room. <laughs> I guess not on the bench, in the locker room, ejected with minutes to go in the second quarter. Klay Thompson only played one minute. You mentioned this to me. Only played one minute in the second quarter uh, due to foul trouble. He had three fouls. After all that, they were down six. John Morant was you know, red hot. He had scored 18 points to that point. And it really, I mean, even given all that, even given the fact that the Grizzlies outshot them from three for the game, I'm going to make a bold prediction that the Grizzlies will not outscore the Warriors from three at any other point in this series because that's just not what they do. All those things went in the Grizzlies' direction, and they still lost, and they still probably shouldn't have covered if Clay Thompson could hit a free throw. At least one for the push. God damn. But um, all that said, all those technical factors why I think the Warriors are just a better team and the Grizzlies were kind of lucky to be in it in game one. Given all that, this series does seem like a longer series than a sweep. And with the Grizzlies facing two road games in San Francisco, they got to have they got to want this game like blood. So that keeps me off the Warriors for the side, even though I think there is value there at one and a half. I think they're, you know, Five points better. I think this line should be three uh, if the zigzag factor wasn't there. But it is, so it keeps me off the game uh, from the side perspective. But I do think Warriors third quarter might be the way to look at it. In fact, yeah, that's a bet for me. Warriors minus 130 right now on FanDuel in the third quarter. Because the Grizzlies all year have been a first-half team. Even in the last game, they are up by six in the third. And they've been a very average third-quarter team. They have a plus zero third quarter margin the Grizzlies on the season even though they were one of the best teams by margin in every other quarter the Warriors just the opposite have been a slow starting team you know an average-ish team in the first half and then have dominated in the third quarter second best third quarter margin winning third quarters by three points a game and that was before they had everybody back now that they have uh the death lineup plus pool you know they're in full form and there's probably a decent chance they'll be trailing in this game. The Grizzlies, zigzag theory, first half crowd, you know, all those things pushing in the Grizzlies' direction in the first half. I think they kind of go away. I like Steve Kerr making adjustments in the third quarter. And I like having the better team only having to lay 130 on the money line. So that's a bet for me. Warriors, third quarter, minus 130. All right, so there's Mackenzie Rivers going ahead and give you guys another bet. Mackenzie, you know, coming out of the last game, there were some things I read, and this was just like Twitter kind of talk, but it was that that the referees weren't exactly totally fair to the Warriors. You know, as you mentioned, Curry had three fouls. Clay had three fouls first half. Draymond gets ejected. I thought maybe the if, if the Warriors beat them in game one, let's just say heads up fair and square, that potentially the Grizzlies could have got some home cooking. But now, you know, with those stories all breaking and stuff like that and, and guys getting ejected, I don't know if they get home cooking in, in this game. So that's kind of really my hang up here is if if I know maybe how this game's going to be refereed. If Clay's only gonna play one minute in the second quarter and Curry only played six minutes, Draymond getting ejected. So I'm just kinda on the fence here. Like, does any of that kind of um 
you know, concern you or worry you in any way that, that maybe the Grizzlies won't get the home cooking that, that maybe I, I thought that they might get? It's a good point. And it's kind of like the 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 NBA as, a, as an institution already, you know, fired their shot because if you were going to try to get this to be a seven-game series and you think the Warriors were on uh, track to beat the Grizzlies, you would do what they did. You would take a, a minor foul by Draymond Green and say, well, he pulled the jersey and he fell to the ground and by the letter of the law and you'd get him suspended and you would call, you know, marginal fouls on Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. But like you said, it was all over Twitter. It was all over, uh, you know, people reacted to it. So that can't happen two games in a row without more noise, more fire uh, with that smoke. So you probably get a fair game. You, I mean, the league <laughs> league pulls the strings that it can, but it can't, it can only do so much. So I think you probably get a fair game. I think the reason why the Grizzlies have been upgraded half a point and why I am much closer to them leaning in that direction on the side is just because, you know, their season's on the line and the Warriors is not. We saw it in Denver. They kind of had a, you know, loose defensive game and their offense was there. So they almost pulled that game four in Denver, but they really weren't as locked in as they were in game one and two. The Warriors were like you said, it could be, a, it could be a game where they just, they don't have it. The Warriors. So let's talk for a second about Draymond. So he gets ejected from the last game and it wasn't because it was a scuffle. You know, we've seen Draymond getting plenty of scuffles before, but it was just a hard foul. Um, I don't think it warranted an ejection. I don't know how you feel about that, but you know, do you think that Draymond comes in here reserved? Do you think that he comes in here extra motivated, extra hyped? Or do you think that there's even a possibility that the Grizzlies try to get chippy with Draymond and try to get him uh, maybe thrown out again and maybe even potentially suspended? Like, you know, how do you think the whole Draymond thing kind of kind of pans out here? Because I believe that this is going to have a major element, you know, in this game. Yeah, and it's on Draymond's mind. He mentioned that he was looking forward for the points to be rescinded because as of right now, he's two flagrant points, which is two flagrant one fouls or one more flagrant two foul uh, for a suspension. And we've seen the Warriors season derailed by a late playoff Draymond suspension. So they don't want to see it again. How does he respond to that? He it clearly was not rescinded, which I mean, if you look at the play, I, I don't know. I just see that play all the time and I haven't seen someone thrown out of a game for it. Uh, you know, throw to the ground. I mean, you grab onto someone's jersey and then you both fall. I don't really see how you could say that was throwing someone to the ground, but the refs did describe it however they needed to describe it. So I think I think it's on his mind. I think definitely the Grizzlies are going to be chippy. They're going to be trying to get him uh, a technical or a flagrant foul. But, you know, Draymond Green's like a 33-year-old man at this point. You At this point in his life, I do think he can uh, – he can hold it together. So I, I would be surprised if Draymond Green does actually get that suspension. You know, he'll just be a little more careful. You know, a, a few less eyes will be poked this playoffs because of uh, him having the two points already. Yeah, I think Draymond has the um, experience there, McKenzie, when it comes to getting these, like, chippy battles and, and maybe people coming to him. Like, he's well experienced there and go, you know what, I maybe I can get these guys in trouble, um, kind of like I get myself in trouble every now and again. But I, I think he comes in here reserved. He just tries to play lockdown defense and really just tries to frustrate them uh, more than anything. But it'll be interesting. Oh, I like I love Draymond. He, he's one of my favorite players just because he plays so hard. But uh, that'll be an interesting game. That'll wrap up uh, Tuesday night. Let's jump over to Wednesday here, McKenzie. We have the 76ers at the Heat. Heat right now laying nine points, Mac. Total 206.5. Numbers gone up here with the Heat. I know after that game, one result. 
he ended up winning that game by 14 points, uh, 106.92. I have a wager in this one, Mac. I'm going to go ahead and I'll save that first. I'm not sure how you're feeling about this. Uh, we mentioned the series prices right now. Miami, big favorite, minus 560. Do you think Embiid comes back and, and, and can flip this entire series back to you know a competitive series? Or do you think the fact that, he, that he's going to end up missing game one, game two, that it's just maybe just too much for Philly to overcome? If you look at the series price, and R.J. Bell asked me to do this uh, before today's Straight Out of Vegas episode, and if you you know make fair assumptions like the game one line when it opened up thought Embiid was going to play, and the Heat were four and a half point favorites, so you know home court plus a little more. It looks like that if Embiid returns full strength for game three, that's what the series price is saying. So how much do they need game one and game two? You know, pretty badly because I – there's going to be, you know, an adjustment period for Embiid. He's played with this orbital bone fracture before, but uh, just knocking him out of his rhythm, having to put a mask on, having to, uh, you know, deal with that pain of, of trying to move your neck and, and, you know, reestablish yourself. I feel like there's going to be a curve. So to expect them to win four out of five to end this series if he does come back for game three, I think it's, it's asking too much. So that puts a lot on game two. I don't know if they have it in them to do any better because James Harden had five baskets and five turnovers, and it was like any other game. This is kind of what we expect from James Harden. He's been a distributor. He was in Brooklyn. You know, it looked really good when he was putting up 20 and 10. And now in Philly, he's putting up, you know, 17 and 10 with a bunch of turnovers, and he's just not the guy that you want against this elite Miami Heat defense that switches everything, that has Bam Adebayo. If he, if you know, he's pretty much a point guard at seven feet on defense, he can move so well. So I don't expect James Harden to be able to turn it around. I expect him to lose game two. I have it at eight uh, without Embiid. And, you know, that kind of, unfortunately, this, this had an awesome series written all over it. This looked like a really great series where you probably have the top end talent in Philly uh, and just a better run team, a more cohesive team in Miami. But now you just have the latter. You just have the cohesive team against, you know, an over an overmatched competition. So what do you, what do you think of the series? Do you think Embiid can make it a series or do you think this looks like four or five? That's, that's where I'm leaning. That This is not going to be that competitive. I would be on the opposite side. I think that there's no way that you could take potentially the MVP out of a series and, and then inject him back right back into a series and not think the Philly doesn't have a chance right. at plus four twenty. I would go ahead and I would actually make a pizza bet on Philly. If this was heads up and I think if MB was playing, I think Philly wins this series. I think Philly is clearing away probably the best team in the East, and that's just my opinion because I know that I have potentially the best player. I think you know Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid, those are probably the three best players left. Take Jokic off the Nuggets. They get bombed. Take any team's number one player. You know, take Giannis off the Bucks. They're going to get swept by Boston. You're taking Embiid. I mean, he's a legit an MVP guy. You're, you're taking him off the floor for two games. Well, what do you expect? They're going on the road against Miami, the number one seed, who they're a good basketball team. They're a great coach. Uh, they, they have experience. But bring Embiid back at home in Philly, and I think that it's going to look completely different. And I could see Philly. You know, what, what did you get in the last game from Tobias Harris? You got the best game you were ever going to get from that guy in the playoffs on the road in game one. A uh, guy went out and scored 27 points. I think it's a series. 
I think with Harden, Maxi, Harris, and Embiid, even though, you know, and and look, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about Embiid coming in here a little bit, maybe a little rusty or, or just not, you know, not 100%. I mean, the dude's got a busted thumb. He's got a fracture orbital now. Yeah, it's, a, it's an injury that he dealt with, but it can't be that comfortable. I know if I got a busted, broken face, um, things wouldn't be normal. But I just think that there, it's four guys deep on that team that um, could put a lot of pressure on you. You know, for game two, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the points, and I, I probably wouldn't lay them, um, just because I, I, I really worry about Philly, um, kind of just feeling a little, you know, disheartened that they're that they're number one guys, you know, down and out right now. But I think they'll get a shot in the arm come game three if he comes back and plays. But I, I will go ahead and, and consider this one, Mackenzie, and this is kind of. It's kind of just me thinking out loud here. If Philly loses this series, and and you can answer this question, if Philly loses this series, is Joel Embiid going to have to shoulder any blame whatsoever? No, he gets a total pass. I mean, he built this uh, team, you know, where it is. He's an MVP candidate. And now not only does he have one injury that he was battling through, a thumb injury, he has this completely, you know, random. It's not like he didn't – it's not like you can do – put yourself in great shape so that your face muscles won't break. You know, he, he just got bad luck. I mean, it actually looked like a pretty dirty play uh, in my opinion from Pascal Siakam responding to Embiid kind of hot dogging and showboating with the airplane. Next play, Pascal Siakam comes down the lane and breaks his face. Didn't seem, you know, that accidental to me, but to put some numbers on this, Embiid was plus 11 when he was on the court. The Sixers were 11 points better. That's like an MVP number. And that's what you're mo- losing. And that was a regular season. Flip the page to the playoffs. You know, it hasn't been that long, but 12 points better. The Sixers, 12 points better with Embiid on the court. That's a massive number. And you saw that. I mean, this, the market didn't know what to do. The market made the game one line seven and a half. They made the game two line nine. Were the, were the Heat upgraded a point and a half? Or the Sixers downgrade? I think the Sixers were downgraded a point and a half. The market just hadn't seen a Harden-led Sixers team against elite competition, and uh, the you know episode one did not go well. So that's why the market uh, you know settling now a point and a half worse for the Sixers without Embiid than they were you know yesterday. Well, if you don't think that that Embiid's going to have to shoulder any of the blame if they go out, even if they get swept in four games, then it it, it can only be on two guys. It's either on James Harden or it's on Doc Rivers. Rivers already got thrown under the bus already being like, you know, why'd you leave him out there? You know, that wouldn't happen. You know, talking about Draymond before, maybe Siakam was the guy that actually deserved to get ejected because I saw the play too, and I, th- I thought it was a little bit dirty too. But I think Harden, he has to come out here, McKenzie, and he has to be aggressive because he's going to be the guy that gets the blame. And a lot of people thought maybe game one was going to be the game where, you know, we were going to see the old James Harden. And look, I, I don't want to say that, that that's not going to happen, but but don't expect to to see the James Harden of old. This is a completely different team. The James Harden of old played on, you know, a, a one-man wrecking crew where it was him out there cooking, doing everything he needed to do to get the threes up and doing everything he needed to do to get the line. Does he still have that game? I think he does, but it's going to be a, a different version. But I do think we see Harden be super aggressive here and go out there and try to get to the 30-point mark. Because if they fall in this game and lose, at least he has something to say, 
Well, I went out there and I did everything I could. You know, I had, you know, eight assists. I had 29 or 30 points in the game. I did everything I could. We came up short. You know, maybe Harris doesn't have that big monster game or Maxi or something like that. But Harden has to go out there to do something to clear his name. So his point total in game one, I believe it was 19 and a half. Uh, I believe he goes well over that. And I think he, he's very, very close um, going into halftime. You know, maybe he's at 14, 15, 16, somewhere in that area. But I think Harden has a big game. And he's been a hard player to rely on when it comes to the points. There's points, rebounds, and assists, not, not a prop that, you know, has failed you much. But I believe his point total, McKenzie, has to go up here. Otherwise, if they go down and he comes back and they lose, it's going to be get rid of Harden. Why do we bring this guy in here? Um, da, 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 da. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with this particular game. But I do like Harden over his points, which, I mean, he had 16 last game. I mean, what more What more could I ask for the guy? Take a couple more shots and make a couple more buckets, get to the free throw line. He'll make a three or two, and, and he's well over 19 and a half. So I think this is the game, Mac, where he has to come out and he has to be the James Harden of old because if he comes out here and he looks really boring and really stale and has another 14, 15-point game regardless of how many assists he has and they lose, he's getting blamed. Um, and Embiid's coming back, and, and he's going to be the savior. And it's going to be, what is James Harden doing for this ball club um, that, that somebody else can't do? So that's kind of where I'm at with that. Not sure how you feel about all that, but I'm just talking through it a little bit. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Harden, man. I get the motivational angle. I get how, you know, they scored 92 points and Harden shot 13 times. It's a bad look. Couldn't get there on a bet because, I mean, I was talking about on our last podcast, the Heat have an elite defense versus point guard, second best in the league. And they've they've played six games so far in the playoffs, five against Atlanta, one against Philly. And they've held their point guards about 10 points on average below their, you know, points prop. So as long as that trend keeps continuing, I get, I mean, I get how the volume will probably be there, but uh, I'm going to continue to not bet on uh, opposing guards versus the Heat. They just, they just eat them up. All right. Well, we'll see how that all shakes out, but I, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make that wager. I think James Harden have a pretty good game. It's a low number. I'll give you that 19 and a half. I mean, considering, you know, Harden's career, where he's been at, you know, in the playoffs, the fact that he is the number one guy. So I wouldn't look under, but that's why I'm, I'm not on the over. One of the reasons why I really think that this has a potential to go over, Mac, is because could this be the game where James Harden becomes your legit number two? Like he's sharing the basketball with Harris. He's sharing the basketball with Maxi, And it's, well, now I, I share the ball with Embiid. You know, could this be where it's like, all right, I can solidify myself as the number two guy. If he comes out here and wins, it has a big game. He could be like, you know what? I don't have to. I don't have to be the distributor constantly for Maxi and for Harris and, and for Embiid. I could go out there and, and do my thing finally, and and you know become more of this team. You know, with, with you know what people actually thought he was going to be. So I think that there's that motivation there as well. That he kind of has an in route, you know, to to becoming you know the the B guy and 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 the B scorer for this team. So. Now, we'll see how it all shakes out, but I, I do like that one. Let's jump over to our final game here on Wednesday. We have the Suns. Uh, they're going to be here at home against the Mavericks. Spread is minus six. Uh, we have a total of 216 in this game. Mackenzie, you have a best bet in this one. Uh, why don't we go ahead and talk through the Suns and the Mavs? What are you thinking? Yeah, my best bet will be on the Suns minus the six. And this is similar to the Warriors-Grizzlies. Just looking at the box score of this most recent game, Monday night, You know, it was a seven-point game. Right next to the number, you know, Suns closes as a six-point favorite. 
but really everything went the Mavericks direction. And I don't think it's going to be repeatable. So they shot much better than the Suns from three. Uh, you know, they hit five more threes than the Suns and Luka Doncic 15 for 30, 45 points. You know, he is an amazing player. I don't expect him to average 45 and rewrite the record books, especially because they have so many bodies they can throw at him. They have Mikhail Bridges, you know, finalist for defensive player of the year. Crowder's much better on defense uh, than he has been in the past. Booker is much better on defense as, as he continues to ascend. So the Mavericks are a one-man team. They're a one-man team. Uh, Jalen Brunson is not ready, I think, against, you know, an elite defense that the Suns have. I mean, the Jazz... The Jazz play Gobert. People think they're a good defensive team because they play Gobert, but they literally are uh, shivs in all other positions. So the fact that Jalen Brunson had a big series against, you know, aging Mike Conley and no defense Donovan Mitchell doesn't really move me, doesn't really change where I think of him as a player. Against the Suns, I don't think they're going to have, especially as the series wears on, I feel like the Suns are more flexible, going to be able to do different things. You saw Devin Booker with eight assists tonight kind of playing in a different role. I feel like they're going to just continue to ascend as the series goes on. So the fact that it was closer than it probably should have been in game one, I think keeps this number too low. I think the Suns are uh, probably should be a fair number at eight point favorite here. Only six. Don't think that the zigzag theory will, will matter here because the Suns are playing their second home game. So they really, you know, that's why they call it the zig zigzag theory because uh, they need the game just as bad. If they split at home, that's not a good result. That's not an acceptable result. So I like the Suns laying the six points. All right. Good stuff on that. I do have a statement I'll make, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So the statement's pretty easy here, McKenzie. The Suns were up 21 points at one point in this game, and they were clearly outplaying the Mavericks. But I think the fact that the Mavs ended up losing this game only by seven points, they had a monster fourth quarter. Uh, they were getting threes off left and right, unguarded. I think that that wakes up the coach. And I think Monty Williams is going to say, guys, we had a 21 point in this lead. We just came off a series against the Pelicans where, you know, we flirted with disaster. We need to wake up. This isn't championship basketball. And I think everybody would agree with that. You know, within that locker room, they would say, you know, we should have beaten this team clear and away. But there were a number of three point shots. And I'm just going back to the threes because that's the stat that you mentioned. Uh, guys from Maxi Kleber and from Doncic that were just not even guarded. And it was like, well, where's this, you know, world-class defense, this number one defense, you know, with the one of the best defensive players, you know, where's that defense at? And I think that he really gets in their ass in the locker room, you know, after the game and says, guys, we can't go do this because if we expect to get through this series and go face the Warriors, you know, are we going to, are we going to do that against them? Because they'll come back and they'll beat you. So I think it's a wake up call here for the Suns. I don't know how you feel about that McKenzie, but, that's kind of the way that I'm feeling that Monty Williams is going in. Like, I, I don't think he's satisfied, and I don't think the Suns are satisfied. Yeah, they got the win, but I think when they actually sit down and they take a look at, at you know, how the, how the end of that game went, that they, they can't be satisfied with the way that that game ended. So not sure how you feel about that, but that's kind of the way that I think the coach is going to go ahead and take it to this club. I agree with that. I think it is a wake-up call. I mean, it shouldn't have been a seven-point game. It shouldn't have been a single-digit game. If they want to win the championship, they're going to have to play four quarters, especially the way the Pelican series went, where that was a six-game series, and the Pelicans, you know, we talked about it, probably had more talent for much of the for much of it. 
They have two games now with Devin Booker back. He hasn't really looked like himself through much of either of those two games. I feel like they want to put it all together. They want to have that feeling when they were ending the regular season as the only 65-win team, and I think they put it all together for game two. That's why I like them. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly not playing their best basketball, but they, they, they have to get the motor running. Right. You know, and look, they, they could beat this team in four games and be sitting waiting on the Western Conference Finals, whether it be the Warriors or the Grizzlies, not playing their best basketball. Like, they have to get it going. The coach has to get in the rear end. I think he will. But here's my question, Mackenzie. When it comes to the line, you said you thought it should be, like, minus eight. I'm thinking, like, minus nine. And here's my question. You just played the Pelicans. They pushed you. Now you're playing the Mavericks. But what would you make the Pelicans and Mavericks on a neutral court? Because I feel the Pelicans would be – a better team than the Mavericks? It's a good question. I think it would be like Mavericks minus one, minus one and a half. I've upgraded the Pelicans so much recently because they kept winning and they were 10 and two when Brandon Ingham played since the all-star break heading into the playoffs. And then they obviously pulled a couple upset wins against the sun. So I think they're about two points better than the average team and the Mavericks as good as they've been at different points this season. I only have them as three and a half points better than an average team. So I know I know where you're going with this. That's not what the market is telling us because game one with the Suns versus the Pelicans, it was a 10-point line. Moved down a little nine and a half for game two, but that's four points difference. I don't see four points of difference between the Mavericks and the Pelicans. And they didn't even move this line. This line is still minus six. And you already said, like, like Luca's like a one-man team. He's not going to go out there more than likely. He's not going to go out and have 45 points. He needs to rely on the other guys. And, you know, just touching on the Pelicans for a minute, they're not a one-man team. You got Ingram, you have McCollum, you had uh, Valanchunas, you had multiple guys coming off of the bench and in the starting rotation that constantly showed up each and every game. Like, you need to get, you know, you got to get your 25 points from Brunson. You got to have Powell go out there and do his thing. You have to have Hardaway go out there and do his thing. And I I just don't think that they can coming into this game off of, in my opinion, a lackluster performance from the Suns and the six points to me, it, it just doesn't make sense. I think this line should be somewhere around nine. Uh, I think we're getting value here. So McKenzie's making that his best bet. The Suns, I'm going ahead and I'm giving that my stamp of approval for sure. Uh, I'm with you, Mac. I like the Suns as well. All right. So there's our best bets for the podcast. McKenzie going to go ahead. He's going to take the Phoenix Suns minus the six. I'm going to go ahead and make my podcast best bet. Jason Tatum over the 28 and a half points, but that'll wrap it up guys. That'll wrap up. Episode 37 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. You guys know where to find us on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame at Mac and Rivers. You guys can always get us at pregame.com. Make sure you guys like, support, subscribe to the podcast. You guys know where to find us. We'll be back uh, probably later on during the week, and we'll give you guys some more winners, as we always do. We'll talk to you later.